Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's why I taught myself how to draw. It was actually the Little Mermaid. Drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the latest edition of the Rising Tide Broadcast Network. We are over 125 episodes in. I'm so glad that you can join us, and we are not stopping anytime soon. Still can't believe how far we've gone. And there's one thing that always has me excited as an author and a podcaster and basically a creative of all sorts. It is knowing when a debut artist is making their way to the scene. And I am really, really excited to always have the opportunity to speak to that to that debut artist and let, let them share a little bit about themselves, a little bit about what the, their story, where they came from. And we have that right here. We have author Jory Smiley, whose debut novel, Torian, is out. I can't wait for you to hear his story. It is my very big pleasure to introduce to you Jory Smiley. Jory, how are you? Doing great. Thank you, George. It's great being here. Great seeing you. Great interacting with you and the crowd. Doing well. Just taking this book thing one day at a time. It's definitely been an interesting journey. I released April 9th of last year. Oh, nice. And actually, yeah. Actually, the 28th was the this past 28th was a year in which it was revealed to the world, like the cover and everything. So it's definitely interesting just to see some of the reaction I've gotten from family, friends, just like major syndications like Black Girl Nerds have reviewed it and left something positive. So it's definitely been an interesting thing, to, something I worked on over 10 years ago. Nice. Uh, gaining attention and gaining positive views. But I mean, it's great. It's a great experience. It's just one day at a time and still just more focus on other things and even building the story up as well. Absolutely. And I'm I'm really glad that you're here because we're kind of in the same boat when it comes to their characters. Because for me, I'm this year I'm celebrating the 30th anniversary of my character Excelsior and his, his existence. And I'm hoping to wrap up the 30th anniversary with the completion of his trilogy. And that's still still its own its own mountain to climb but at the same time like things are getting done with that but i'm always excited especially knowing how long you've been working with this character until finally kind of being able to reveal her to the world so tell us a little bit about torian's story here well torian started originally originally as tribute to metroid game metroid oh, yeah. samus yeah nintendo game Fight aliens, which most people don't know, that itself is based off of the alien movies with Sigourney Weaver. If you kind of parallel the alien movies with Metroid, you'll notice a great deal of similarities in terms of uh, just plot and like. I mean, I mean, the main villain, one of the main villains in Metroid, is named Ridley, and well, you have Sigourney Weaver's character named Ripley. So that's that's and that's just one small thing. There are plenty of things. But across the board, yeah, Metroid was a big influence, and 
I didn't want to just take Samus and just you know, write fan. I wanted to do something original. Mm-hmm. And so I just came up with characters and a world and story. And <clears throat> Metroid was kind of the background. But my character, if they're not in space, they're set in a more contemporary California suburban setting. Nice. So there's that. There's no out of space scouring for planets, looking for missiles and trying to open doors and backtracking like the actual Metroid game. It's more rooted in a contemporary setting and deals with contemporary issues. Yeah, Metroid was a big influence on my book. The biggest influence I could think of. There are others like various anime and music, but Metroid was the key influence, even down to the title itself. Because Torian is the last area you go to in the Metroid, well, in the older Metroid games, like the original and sequel Super Metroid, it's the final area you go to to fight the final enemy of the game and then escape before the planet explodes, which typical Metroid fashion planet is about to explode. I think we finally get. Yeah, so it started, it all started with that game. I mm-hmm. grew up playing Metroid in the 90s. Nice. Well, actually, no. No, no. I didn't start playing Metroid like the 2000s because that was like that was around the time when Metroid Prime was released, and that was such a great game. And then that game introduced me to the whole lore, and you, I went from that to the original to Zero Mission, which is a remake of the original. Mm-hmm. What else? Um, Super Metroid. Unfortunately, I did play Metroid Other M. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I never finished it because. <laughs> It just wasn't the best Metro it experience. It wasn't feeling like the same sort of vibe as as the other ones, right? Yeah. yeah. The aesthetic and just the fruitful experience was not there. And yeah. unfortunately, the new Metro game, Metroid Dread, I haven't played it yet. I want to. I just haven't had the time to really dive into it as I would like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Metroid was a major influence. Just the lore of that. And so I, I just translated it into something that I've... That's something that I felt that I would like. And I think the big thing for me was around the time I started writing it, I would say around 2011, mm-hmm. there was this incident, and this is why the story is set in California. There was an, an individual named Kelly Thomas. He was a homeless man in his early 30s, and he was also kind of, he's also schizophrenic, I believe. Mm-hmm. And there was a situation where the police, he was a victim of police brutality. And when he, he, he was on life support, but eventually his family decided to take him off and mm-hmm. he passed away a few days later. And that kind of really inspired me to use that setting in that situation as kind of a backdrop. I don't use that particular situation, but I kind of reference it and reference it and plus, it's like a, can, it's like a catalyst, yeah. right? You know, like just it's yes. what really kind of got the spark going. Yes. Yeah. And, and plus, in general, I can't say one thing in particular why I chose the California settings. I wanted to avoid New York at all costs because when you think about most superheroes, New York often tends to be the central hub, whether it be X Men in Upstate, Avengers in the City, Punisher, yeah. Daredevil, Captain America. I, I wanted to avoid that because that. That I felt like that was a cliche thing to do. I mean, New York will always be an important city and iconic in its own right. It's just mm-hmm. that for me, I wanted to avoid that common angle of New York being this place where 
It's like all, we're all superheroes congregated, which is really like that's that was Stan Stan Lee's impetus behind that was because he knew New York. So he wanted to like paint as detailed a picture as possible. If he lived over in L.A., that would have been that would have been something else like if he would have done that or Detroit or or, you know, Kansas City or whatever, like wh- wherever he want, wound up like growing up, which was a smart thing to do when you're creating one character after another and you have that. You have that situation where you can have everyone congregating in one area. That's it's a good it's a good way to basically kind of build a universe, which is seen yes. what, what they were really doing. So when it comes to when it comes to this book, which having having already like already read some of it and being really interested in it and already recommending it to a couple other people on on Clubhouse, I believe I got like a couple of purchases out of there for you. Yeah. And yeah, and it was really interesting, like this the the hook that you have for this character i thought that the the opening chapter i thought was really powerful i was really taken in by that and then to kind of go back in and and allow your main character whitney rich to tell her tell her story i thought was real was a really good strong like good well-paced way to get things going i really i really appreciated that so so what I always like to talk talk about with my guests is what I call the lightning bolt moment. And that's the moment where you really experience something or meet someone or see something and you just say like, it just makes you point in that direction and say, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of, of life I want to lead. Now, when it comes to writing, because I know like what, what inspired the story, but what was it that got you into writing in the first place? Well, I mean, growing up in this, shout out to my mom. She shouldn't let me do this. I mean, I, I grew up as a, as a as a child of Tarantino and Spike Lee. I was watching there their movies when I should not have been watching this kid. I mean, <laughs> they were never intended for kids. Like Paul, oh, Tarantino yeah. never intended for Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill to be watched by the youth. So, mm-hmm. but I, I watched them anyway. So, yep, there was always that. But I think in particular for me, it was the summer of 2008. Because there was mm-hmm. one particular movie that came out in The Dark Knight. That, yep. that was the lightning bolt moment where it hit me. It was like, oh, this is what I want to do now. Yeah. And But I mean, in terms of like just general inspiration, I mean, as a creative, you all learn from or inspired by sample various influences. Is just that for me, mm-hmm. I mean, I can say that when, he, when it comes to mixing things together, in terms of what I do and mm-hmm. inspiration, people like Tarantino, Spike Lee. Yeah, they're, they're masters at it. Yeah. There'd be no, there, there'd be no Torian, there'd be no, what else, what else I'm working on, none, none of that without them. In terms of a literary context, Ken Kesey, One Flew with a Cuckoo's Nest, was definitely nice. yeah. really stuck to me. Still, still speaks to me, but yeah, I mean, even beyond just literary mm, mm-hmm. music too, as well. Uh, I can listen to like just various songs and just like instrumentals to help establish like a mood for hours. Yeah, as I, I I pull from a lot of sources and things. Uh, my light, but my lightning bolt moment came from watching The Dark Knight. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a great way to start off too, and that and that like yeah, two thousand eight was huge. You had the one-two punch of like not only the Dark Knight, but then you had Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk starting up the MCU. So it's like there is yeah. so much. It was it was really like the geek shall inherit the earth kind of kind of feeling. Like it, yeah. it really was like getting that feeling of just like we're about to we're about to step into something really, really special. So yeah, something yeah. like that. 
I'm glad that that inspired you. I really am. So, so you got in the, so you got inspired to write and then it was in 2011. That's when like the character herself really kind of came into being. Well, I started writing her around that time. I, I finished up in March of 2011. The story was much different than what mm-hmm. it is today. So I spent many years and well, during this time I was still in college. Yeah. And I, I was still working on it even after I graduated. Then took some time off, went back, uh, went back to school, and I wrote other stories connected to this one, which I, I'll get into that uh, soon. Mm-hmm. But um, with her story, I still held on to it, but I never really worked at it. It, it wasn't until I would say around, I would say February of 2020, mm-hmm. when the pandemic was in its infancy, mm-hmm. that's when this opportunity came along. And so I worked with the people at Black Gold, Pub- shout out to Black Gold Publishing, Tahara and Dwayne and, and everybody there in Southern Virginia, like there now in Norfolk. But yeah, that's when it came. Like th- I started working on it and they helped me out tremendously to come up with like new scenes and new ideas. That The book was totally different than what it is now, totally different. There was a lot of things and a lot of situations that didn't exist when I first wrote it. And Mm-hmm. A lot of characters are different and things of that nature. Like I, I, I can, I can even say this: her boyfriend, like Lyran, his mm-hmm. name was Gil at one point, which I realized I couldn't do that because in Street Fighter, there's a character named Gil who's who's like he has one part of his body is red, other part of his body is blue. So mm-hmm. I couldn't do that for obvious reasons. But yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, it, I would say I finished her story up in, in 2011, and I spent. The last eight to almost 10 years editing it and improving it. Yeah. Just kind of going through one thing after. Uh, yeah. That's you're, you're definitely taking me back to when uh, to getting the the first version of Excelsior out there. Cause I, I wrote that first draft in 2008 and then spent two years with working with my editor, just re adding more and more to it and taking out more and changing stuff around and coming up with, uh, with a character like out of nowhere and presenting that character to my to my editor and she just said like well can it be a woman and i was just like what yeah and it wound up being like one of my favorite characters i've ever created and she came in during the later drafts so yeah i get i get where you're coming from with that so so as the as the story and everything is coming along when did you really feel like oh wow this can really be something <clears throat> i mean i feel like every story and i'm not trying to like boost myself i feel like every story means something to an author Mm-hmm. Whether it hits or misses with the public, that's that's all subjective. That's all. There mm-hmm. have been plenty of works out there we never thought would transcend and become this iconic thing. Or there, there's plenty of works we all thought was going to be this main thing that didn't transcend well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I look every work I do. I, I hope it does well and things that I need. I hope it's well received. I don't want. I don't go into it thinking that this is going to be the next Hunger Games or Battle Royale. I go into it like I created it. I hope you all like it. And then that that's it. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. And so so as it's as it's coming together, you're you're getting excited about it. 2021, that's when that's when it finally comes out. Now, obviously there are, you know, very different, a lot of different, a lot of different steps that come into this before the book comes out. And one big one that I was really <laughs> taken by was the cover design. So I understand that you met the the cover designer at a convention. Is that correct? Ah, yes. 
William. Shout outs to him. William. Shout outs to him. I was <clears throat> I was living in North Carolina. I lived in North Carolina from 2007 to about mm-hmm. 2016. Yeah. And it, I was in college from like tw- uh, 2007, 2011. I graduated, but I still lived there. Mm-hmm. During my adventures down there, I went to NC Comic Con in nice. Durham, North Carolina, and he he had his own booth and he does commission work. And he drew mm-hmm. a picture of a character from Naruto named Haku, my favorite character from that show. Yeah. Um, Haku is, I would say, teenager. He can he has the ability to like create like ice mirrors and throw needles and things of that nature. Nice. And he died off. He was like one of the first major villains, but he died at the very beginning of the show. And, oh, wow. But still, he was on like one of my favorite characters even to this day. And William drew a picture of it. And this was like November of 2014. Yeah. So it's definitely been over seven years. And I still stay in contact with him the whole time, like from mm-hmm. when I was living there to when I moved and was moving around from like Maryland to Texas to Ohio to just, yeah. <clears throat> and so, and I start talking to him maybe in 2019, reconnected with him through mm-hmm. the power of social media. Yep. And I told him about what I was trying to do and Originally, I wanted him to create the opening scene of the book, like where she goes to like goes to her mother's grave and all that. Mm-hmm. But then the book uh, offer came along, and so uh, we just worked on the cover. And around the time we start working on it is also when the pandemic happened. And so I'm in currently mm-hmm. in Michigan right now, and he's in Charlotte. So it be kind of so I could. We, this was like also when the stay at home first started, so there was no really going out or anything of that nature. So mm-hmm. we were able to come up with that cover just off of the strength of phone calls, emails, text messages. It wasn't something on the lines of I was in Charlotte, I was able to talk to him or and construct ideas and things of that nature. That wasn't possible, unfortunately. It the, that that cover came just through phone conversations and just ideas and things of that nature. And it definitely took some time. Mm-hmm. And but it, the cover turned out great. The face of yeah. that cover is actually in the name comes from a lady I met when I was in college back in 2010, 2009. Oh, really? Yeah, the real Whitney. Mm-hmm. And shout outs to her and one of my friends who. And this was another big inspiration. Uh, he was a, he's a, a part of the FGC. What that is? Uh, that I don't know. FGC fighting in community like. People, oh, people, okay. people play Street Fighter and like Tekken and Mortal Kombat. They, they play it like at a level where they're the, they're the best in the world. I used oh, to be nice. a part of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I played Smash though. Uh, I played other games. Mm. Smash is my, my big game. Yeah. And I met him through that. And his last name is Rich. So I just kind of combined their names and things of that nature. Nice. Um, but yeah. It, so it, was, was Whitney okay with, uh, with you using the name and everything? Yes, she. Um, yeah, she. She was cool with it. I, I used her face and her name. She was cool with it. She, I think, I know. I said I gave her definitely gave her an autograph copy, but mm-hmm. it was just something on the lines of like I couldn't think of a name, and so I, that name just came to my head, and so I, I just went with that. Nice. And I mean, but most creatives they 
they do stuff like that. For example, with The Simpsons, I think, what's his name? Is it Matt Groening? Matt Groening, yeah. Yeah. A lot of those names were like, those came from like his his relatives, like Lisa, Bart. Those came mm-hmm. from his relatives. The character from Boonhauer, from King of the Hill, was inspired by somebody. Because the makers of King of the Hill, they made Beavis and Butthead. And yeah, so they would judge, get a lot yeah. of angry, they would get a lot of angry calls back in the day. And one guy <laughs> called in particular and he sounded just like Boomhauer. So they said <laughs> that should be a character yeah. <laughs> in, our, in our next yeah. show. <laughs> so that yeah. I did the same I did the same thing. When I was in when I was in high school, one of the things that I would do with my characters is I would I would incorporate some classmates and I would make them either someone who would come in, have a cameo appearance and have like one line or something, or they would be the girlfriend of one of my main characters or something. And that got my my fellow students, my classmates, interested in the story. They wanted to learn about their story, about what their characters were going to do. And then they wound up getting pulled in, kind of Trojan horse them in to the overall story. So they got re- they got really acquainted with the universe just by doing that. And then they wanted to hear more of that. So it was it was a lot of fun to do different things like that. So, yeah, that's it's always a lot of fun to incorporate people that situations, characters, people and everything and get them into the story. It's I mean, it's a part of what we are as creatives. Exactly. You know, so so with so with that in mind, you got the you got the cover going. The cover looks fantastic. You got the you have the manuscript. When did the publisher come along and what what were they doing to work with you to see this book to completion? Well, the publisher, one of my friends, his name is Theodore, shout out to him, he had published with them. And so I was interested. And so I submitted it to them and they they were ecstatic about it. And then I spent pretty much the majority of summer 2020 working on it uh, mm-hmm. with their ideas and things to improve it. I came up with six whole new scenes just of off of working with them and a lot of scenes were changed up but they gave me six whole new scenes to pretty much help contribute to the story and add things or make it more cohesive and add mm-hmm. to the depth of the text so yeah nice. so to them. they were kind of essential in bringing a lot of key ideas and characters to life mm-hmm so did you so with everything that's going on these days with the the whole uncertainty of the pandemic really kind of putting a cramp on on with with everything that we normally do like any sort of any sort of typical in-person launches were you able to do something like that for this book Yeah that's the thing George with the pandemic a lot of ideas and a lot of trips and a lot of things you would love to do are pretty much fantasy or borderline fantasy. They're not possible at the level that they were life. Life in 2019. Yeah. 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 Like life pre pandemic, a lot of the things we would love to do are, are not possible anymore. Well, they're possible, but they're not the safest thing to do. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, for me, I would have loved to go to like, you know, like a convention, like like an NC comic con or, Magfest, or there's there's plenty, there's so many Dragon Con, Blur Con, and AWA, which is like Anime Weekend Atlanta. I think that's what it's called. Oh, that's um, cool. There's, I mean, there's so many of those now. There's like yeah. so many 
of those. And they're all intertwined because if you're in the comic books, you're going to be into anime and, or manga. And mm -hmm. if you're in the video games, you're into those things as well. So a lot of people go to those and a lot of those events. I've been to a few of them in my time. It's just that now those type of events aren't the most safest due to COVID. And yeah. Torian would have been excellent to market there. It's just, it's not possible to do it. And even if I were able to do it, it wouldn't be at the level they usually are because of COVID. However, in terms of marketing, social media has been vital in helping to build and reach out. And there's so many different networks and connections. I mean, me going to college mm -hmm. like, and having that network in particular, like going to an HBCU, I've been able to reach out to plenty of those facilities and reach out to both of the colleges I went to. Shout outs to North Carolina A&T and shout outs to Miami University out in mm -hmm. Oxford, Ohio. And they've mentioned me and mentioned reviews and things of that nature. So that's always a bonus. I mean, those places help mold mold, mold my, my passion and things of that nature. So I'll always be grateful to those places. So, I mean, there are certain things I wish I could do, but across the board, it's unfortunate. But I mean, I've been able to make it, I make it work to an extent. I mean, with social media and just reaching yeah. out and into like those different avenues and lanes, people who I know will be interested in. So, yeah, I mean, I wish I could, I could go to those. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to too much sleep over it though, because I, yeah. I find it. Yeah, it'll eventually at some point, like we'll get to a point where we can start going back to these sort of events regularly and then then things will really you know take off. So with everything that you've gone through to get this book out now that it's out now that it's you're seeing that it's finding its audience, it's finding some some traction, it's getting reviews, it's getting you're getting some uh, you're getting some sales, you're getting some buzz. You're here on, on the show talking about it, which is fabulous. What would you suggest to someone who has been in your position before, who has an idea, who wants to really kind of get things rolling? What would you say would be the first thing that they should focus on? I mean, if they want, if they want to be a creative, be a writer, they have an idea. I think mm -hmm. the first thing you should do is just write your ideas down, whether it be like on a notepad, whether it be mm -hmm. on your computer store, someone write your ideas down because an idea doesn't really start coming to life until it's written down. If it's just in your head, it's just in your head. Your head has, has hundreds of thousands of thoughts and things get lost. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. With great haste, it means it lost in great haste. So it's best to just write things down, write your ideas down, and then just go from there. I mean, me in particular, everybody's creative process is different. Mm -hmm. My creative process is, I know it sounds typical, but it's a whole bunch of tabs open. In yeah. particular, though, I can say, though, with everything I write, especially since I would say, since like 2010 and up, mm -hmm. it's like five little things I five things I use like so, sort of like guidelines to help keep ideas and the story and tech and context and help add depth and things of that nature. It's like and it's five random things. Like for example, I wrote Victorian. For example, there mm -hmm. were five things about it that if you get the text, 
I use kind of like to help build up the characters and the world and the Lord is everything with mm-hmm. it. And those five things, I would say Metroid's one, an anime called Gungrave, which early mid 2000s, it's based off a video game, pretty great. It was one, but in particular, there's a story arc where he fights an individual on his pain. And that individual is kind of like, he kills Naruto's master, but it turns out he was also a student of, of that master and they have like different ideas and philosophies and how he deals with him and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Fourth one would be the Kelly Thomas situation with the individual who was a victim of police brutality. Right. And I would say the fifth one would be, um, let's see, the fifth one would be, oh, the fifth one would be the just the California setting. Mm. Yeah. Just sure that that place is highlighted and highlighted well, because with everything I write, particularly the superhero stuff, I just wanted to paint the world and I wanted to be to a point where the setting is its own character. Like it's not just these people live here. This place has its own unique identity and the characters influence it. And it influences the characters. Gotcha. It's not just they're in California. They are in a specific place in mm-hmm. a specific environment and they interact with it and things of that nature. And I do that with every story, especially the superhero ones where uh, I want the reader to feel like this is a real breathing place. Right. That's great. That's great. And where can my listeners find you on social media? Oh, um, in regards to social media, I would say, let's see, if you want to find me, I'm on Instagram, 313snake. Mm-hmm. That name kind of comes from the fact that in my com- competitive years, I used to play uh, Smash and my favorite character to play was Snake. And number 313 was the name I used. And on, let's see, Twitter is 313trill, which that's kind of like a phrase that my favorite rapper uses. And I guess on Facebook, you can just type in Joyce and I should come up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if, if, if you want to connect with me and I guess chat about the book or how you feel about it. I can't say that a lot of the the future material for this character has been written already. Uh, her mm-hmm. sequel has been written already. It's going to be a period of time before her story is told because in typical, because in not typical, because in Marvel fashion, there are other characters in other places that, that need to have their story told before I can continue with hers. So, ah. um, so you have a shared universe in mind? Yes. Yes. Um, and, I, and yes, of course. I mean, that came from what Marvel's been doing. I think every, I think Marvel really established that for on a on a such a mass level. I mean, I mean, comics yeah. have been doing that for decades, though. So, but to see it in cinema form has just been so compelling. It's, yeah. it's something that most audiences, if you've been watching comic movies since like the eighties, back seventies with Christopher Reeve, shouts to him, right. Um, it, it never that was never even on the plate mm-hmm. to offer a, as a meal, but now yeah. it's just an established thing. It's it's funny because this May will be ten years since the original Avengers movie. That's yeah, right. This is wild when you think about it how changed that movie, everything. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the whole idea of like having characters 
it's why the reason why Warner Brothers was foaming at the mouth and jumping around trying to get their project started and yep. how they how they rushed it so quickly just to catch up to what Marvel was doing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, that's the direction I'm going. And and of course, my characters so far, none of them, none of them are in New York. I do have a character I want to make that will be in New York, but that's just one. But they're they're in yeah. different places. Like one is in Virginia Beach, one is in Atlanta, and another one is in Detroit. The one in Detroit I'm actually working on right now, and mm-hmm. they their story is more. How can I say this? Their story is more in the in the fashion of like a Deadpool style character. Well, they're they're aware of their oh, nice. story and things of that nature, and they kind of play with that whole idea and. Yeah which I've always been interested in like meta meta fiction or like stories that break the fourth wall. I've always mm-hmm. been interested in that. It's just that those type of approaches are, are difficult in, especially in the context of writing. So yeah. be aware to the point where you're for example, telling the reader to turn to page five or like, or the care to say, this is on page 26. Right. Like that, that is, takes a level. It takes a very, no, how can I say this? It requires a very refined approach. I just mm-hmm. say that it takes a very yeah. how you approach it is, is, is not easy. So, I, but I'm learning, and it is coming along. But I, I can't say the sequel to Torian has already been written anytime soon, because, like I said, there are other stories that need to be told. And then when you see those stories, it'll start to make sense why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Torian delayed because after Torian two, all the characters I mentioned those places, just like the event, the Avengers will you know, link up and work together for one big thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be great too. That's going to be a lot of fun. And I hope that all of you who have been listening are really, really taken with, with what Joris has, has basically suggested to you. If you have an idea of your own, if you have something that you want to cultivate, by all means, get it down on paper and keep working at it because it took, it took uh Joris 10 years for Torian to make, to make her way to the books. It took, it took Excelsior 30 years to, to get to where we are now. And so those, those sort of ideas, if you believe in them enough, and if you work at them hard enough and you don't give up on them, then you're going to be surprised how far they can go. So for Jory Smiley, this is George Soroy saying to all of you ever upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.